Sindelar throwing deep middle. He took a big hit and he throws into double coverage. It's an interception. Northwestern with the return. Their safety, J.R. Pace. And that one is intercepted. What a pick. I don't think he ever saw that. It's Nate Hall who dropped back into coverage and comes up with a very big play. Jackson is just lit up by Blake Gallagher. Jones on third down. Gaziano's coming. And he wraps him up. And they give it on the end around. This is Ronnie Bell. And Bell is dropped for a loss. That's a loss of two. Terrific job by the Northwestern defense. J.R. Pace with the tackle. Here's Patterson to throw out of the shotgun with Tom. Tucks it. And Patterson tackle for a loss. That should be a sack. Joe Gaziano, the Boston native, with his third sack of the season. Got suck it down in four. Jefferson again. Good penetration that time by Northwestern. The ball is tipped. A great penetration again up front by Northwestern. It's Ernest Brown, the fourth, 98, got his big mid up there. And he fumbles it, got drilled from behind. It's loose. Scooped up and scored. Brown with the hit. Williams with the big hit. And Brown collected the ball. Sikowski, and then he dropped it. He almost lost the ball. Chris Bergen coming in. Here comes pressure, and Joe Gaziano levels. Art Sitkowski. Cone puts it on the ground, gets it back, and loses it again. And Northwestern, for the third time today, comes up with a fumble. And off on first down. He lost the football, and Northwestern's got it. Ivory Kelly Martin had it knocked out of there by Joe Gaziano. And Northwestern, for the first time, is going to win the Big Ten West. Morgan throwing again. Intercepted. Second time that Nate Hall has picked off Tanner Morgan. Here comes the blitz. But the blitz is kept in check until that last moment. And Patty Fisher takes down Tanner Morgan. How are you? I want to thank you for tuning in, and I am glad you are backer for another Wildcast. Now, I encourage you, please, don't be a DB. Plug in your earbuds, turn up the volume, because we've got a good D lineup for you. If you haven't noticed with my awful puns, we're getting defensive today, and we are looking at the solid stoppers. We're looking at Hank's Tanks, the Purple Pressure Posse, 
We're going to look at the Sky Team in the back end, the line of scrimmage grinders up front, and also the Scud Studs, the Seekers and Destroyers at linebacker. Yes, we are going to get in-depth and look at and review the 25th best defense in the country, your Northwestern Wildcat defense. So get ready for another edition of the Wildcast. Again, welcome back. I am your host, Chappie. You might have seen me either on the Wildcat Report. I covered the Wildcats in the 2018 season, both looking at previews before the game, but also wrap-ups after the game. You may be a frequent listener to my national podcast, Bowl Full of Chips, with my co-host, Bip. But occasionally, about once a week or once every couple of weeks, I get into Northwestern football because that's really where my passion lies. So this is Wildcast number three. We've started off with a senior shout-out honoring the wonderful players who gave us their four-plus years of service at Northwestern, some a little bit more, but nonetheless graduated with honors both on and off the field. We also looked at, in our last Wildcast, the offensive comings and goings, the things that went well with the offensive side, some things that really need to be improved on for 2019, but nonetheless a revisionist look at all that was good with the 2018 season, which again, as we all know, ended in first place in the Big Ten West, landing us as one of the few teams that had eight wins in the regular season, tying us with Ohio State and Michigan, but also got us to the Indianapolis showdown against Ohio State, and then more importantly in the Holiday Bowl, which was a great defeat of the Utah Utes, and we'll get more into that in this podcast here. So I am your host, Chappie, and for those who are into Twitter, you can find me at champion underscore lit, Um, and I also want to give a shout out to at Wildcat Report, which really is the Twitter account for our editor, Louis Vacare, who does great things on the Wildcat Report. I'm sure that most of you tuning in are very familiar with that site. It's a rival site. It covers content both for football, but also basketball, and really anything NU athletics. So it's growing, it's getting bigger, and that's really what we need is we need more followers, we need more readers, we need more people that are going to continue to jump on to Wildcat Nation and help us to continue to grow to be not only a great service, but continue to bring public publicity or positive publicity to this great university. Um, You can email me at nufbhistorian at gmail.com. That's nufb, so as in Northwestern University football historian at gmail.com. So let's get right into things. Defense has always been the calling card for Pat Fitzgerald coach teams here at Northwestern. And it makes sense because he was, in my opinion, the best linebacker and really the best defensive player to come out of the purple and white, to come out of Evanston. And the day he was hired was a great moment for Wildcat fans because we knew that he was not only going to bring defensive ingenuity and a defensive style or attitude that will permeate throughout the whole program, but he also brings the knowledge of of what to do on the field, the X's and the O's, and was going to have that be really the calling card for this this program. So I think it's safe to say in his time, defense has done pretty well, especially ever since Mike Hankowitz has taken the reins and has been the D coordinator here in Evanston. So quick rundown of how Northwestern did defensively this season. 
We'll start from the good going to the things that might need to be improved. I talked about they were 25th overall in defensive efficiency, and that's according to ESPN's def- or efficiency ratings. Pretty good analytics. They seem to know what they're doing for the most part when it comes to numbers over in Bristol. In the Big Ten, the Wildcats were first in red zone defense in terms of opposing touchdowns. Only 47% of the time did opponents score a touchdown in the red zone. That is incredible. Uh, Less than half the time when opponents are in an ease scoring situation, the Wildcat defense hunkered down and locked up and kept them on the other side of the goal line. They were third overall in red zone defense in general, so 80% of the time teams were scoring against the Wildcats, which again is a very impressive number. They were fourth in rush defense in the Big Ten, allowing 129 yards per game, which also landed them in the top 30 nationally. They were uh, third in turnover margin, they ended up at a plus seven this year, which included 26 takeaways, which is good for second in the conference. They were sixth in scoring defense, allowing 23 points per game. Fourth, or I'm sorry, seventh and third down defense. Opposing teams only uh, moved the chains when it came to third down on them 36.6% of the time. But then we look at the bottom half of the statistical side, and we're not going to go through every defensive stat, but highlighting some of the most important ones. They were eighth in the conference in sacks committed, only 24 of them this year. So if you do the math, that's really only about two per game. You'd like to see that number increased a little bit. It's, it's something certainly to work with, but with the talent and the depth that we have at defensive line and then the prowess we have in the uh, second level at linebacker, you'd kind of like to see those numbers increase and go up a little bit, especially as now we have uh, an even more senior-laden defensive group up front. So that'll be something to watch for next year. Against the pass, these numbers might be a little bit skewed because of the fact that we know Mike Hankwitz and his style on defense is to keep everything in front. They play a cover two, uh, cover four like shell, where they'll tell their defensive backs in the Sky team, Stay deeper than the deepest man. Keep everything in front. We're going to be good tacklers. And then we're going to lock down when teams get inside the 40 and we can afford to play maybe tighter coverage. We can afford some more man concepts and we're going to keep that umbrella over the top. So they were 11th in pass defensive efficiency. So what that means is against teams uh, in terms of limiting big plays and limiting scoring plays and keeping the completion percentage down, they were 11th in the conference out of 14 teams. They allowed 64% of the passes to be completed, allowing 21 touchdowns while committing 12 interceptions. So those numbers, while they're not awful, you have to kind of put an asterisk next to that and understand what the defensive scheme is under Mike Hankowitz. And it seems to be successful because, again, they only gave up 23 points per game, and when teams did get inside that red zone, they weren't too successful against the Wildcats. They were 13th against passing yards allowed, so they allowed more passing yards than uh, all but one team. So, uh, again, not something that you really need to shake your head at, Still, those numbers would like to be improved. You'd like to see some of these guys at corner and at safety to uh, kind of close the gap a little bit and, and shorten the distance between them and the receivers because anytime you get first downs on offense, anytime you're moving down the field, it creates positive momentum for the offense. It creates an increase in morale, but it does create a little bit of stress and a little bit of pressure on the defensive side, certainly in the stands. Uh, Northwestern fans, while we love them all, are certainly not known for their patience or for 
um, taking things in and, and being even keel about things at all times when they should be, maybe in hindsight. Um, and, and I certainly am fitting into that category as well. Um, they played best against the West. That was something that we could hang our hats on for the, the Northwestern defense. So the turnover margin, they played outstanding against teams like Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, Purdue, and guys like Nate Hall, J.R. Pace really led the charge in terms of taking the ball away. Patty Fisher, Blake Gallagher, Chris Bergen, and we'll get to their individual stats here in just a minute, but that was an area of strength for the Wildcats for sure. And then another thing that you can put on the team as a big plus is Northwestern was the least penalized team in the NCAA. Now take that in for a minute. There's 130 teams and Northwestern had the fewest penalties. They averaged committing less than 40 yards in penalties per game. So you're talking maybe a couple defensive pass interferences, which sometimes are, are smart penalties, and then maybe a hold or maybe um, uh, something on the offensive side of the ball. So this is not just talking about defense, but they're very disciplined. You really never saw guys jump offside. Uh, they were they pin their ears back and watch the ball as they're coached to do. Defensively, when they committed a penalty in the back end, it was usually to save a touchdown or it was to uh, live to fight another day. And that's exactly what good defensive coaches will tell you is it's 15 yards or it's six points on the scoreboard on the side that we don't want to see it at. So, you know, even those numbers, while they're low, are still a little bit skewed. And I think the defense also did a better job this year of playing better within the targeting rules. We, we saw a couple ejections this year, but not nearly as much as 2017. So that's something that the coaching staff worked on and Coach Fitz and Coach Hank and then the other position coaches on the back end, Coach McGarrigal, Coach McPherson, who was in his first year coaching the defensive backs this season, and then um, uh, Coach Marty Long up on the defensive line, who's been really their stalwart position coach on the defensive side for the last few years. Great staff. They're all returning next year. It's great to see. Well, let's break it into position groups here. Let's start with the defensive line. And we're going to kind of go in a random order here, trying to highlight some of the more positive players and some of the greater statistical accomplishments first, but then certainly giving everybody their, their due. As a whole, the defensive line, a group that I affectionately refer to as the tanks, because when you're thinking about grinding, when you're thinking about uh, defense and, and our military, you, you know that if you've got a, a level of tanks, these machines that can bulldoze and that are not going to be deterred, that's what you want to have your defensive line model themselves after. So number one on the list, I have Joe Gaziano. He was really the, the best part of this defensive line this year. Another great season from... Uh, Godzilla, and very glad to see that he's coming back for his senior year. We'll get to his stats in a minute. They were very good uh, at the defensive end spot, so we already mentioned Gaziano, but Sam Dup Miller, Trent Goins coming in in that rotation, Ernie Brown. I think that Northwestern had maybe, maybe, the best four defensive end rotation in the Big Ten. Now, Iowa fans might beg to differ and say, well, what about Epinesa and Nelson? Those were two good starters, but I think, you know, and you throw Parker Hesse in there as well, but top to bottom in terms of production and in terms of the potential that they have and what we saw on the field, and of course I am a little bit biased, but I think that this Northwestern defensive end crew, these top four, did uh, the best job from top to bottom. Um, 
And then the other thing I have here for, for the good for the defensive line and the tank group is they had some pretty good havoc numbers. Uh, we, we talked about we'd like to see the sacks increase, but in terms of tackle for loss, in terms of quarterback hurries, any play, you know, Bill Connolly does a great job on the SBN network for um, statistical analysis and really creating numbers that are going to show how teams and how defenses do against the uh, line of scrimmage, the Havoc numbers look to be pretty good for the, for the defensive line. So getting into the individuals, we'll start with Joe Gaziano. First of all, 44 tackles, but more impressively, 12.5 tackles for loss, 7.5 sacks, three pass breakups, and eight quarterback hurries. All were tops among the defensive line group and really tops on the team. So while they take away the pass breakups, he wasn't the leader in that category on the defense, but the TFLs, the sacks, and the quarterback hurries, those were the most of any defensive lineman for the Wildcats. Jordan Thompson, a senior who will be missed, had 30 tackles at his defensive tackle position, six TFLs, three sacks, and two quarterback hurries. And again, we saw a continued improvement from Jordan throughout his four years here at Northwestern and really four years as a starter. Um, he was kind of came into a role late in his freshman year. I wouldn't really call him a starter, but as a sophomore, as a junior, and certainly here as a senior, got the bulk of the snaps in that middle spot. So uh, very impressive from Jordan in his final campaign in Evanston. Other defensive tackle, Buddy Wyatt, or I'm sorry, that's his father, Fred Wyatt, sorry Fred, had 28 tackles and three tackles for loss and really was more of a serviceable uh, plug in the middle of that defensive line for the Wildcats. Um, Sam Duke Miller, who was the other starting defensive end, had 53 tackles, which was tops among all defensive linemen. Pretty good. He's clearly shown that he's an athletic guy on the outside. He also ac accounted for six and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks, two pass breakups, and four quarterback hurries. So certainly pr putting up some pretty good havoc numbers on that outside spot at defensive end. He'll be a junior next year, and him and Gaziano will be uh, a good tandem on the outside. That's assuming that Miller keeps his spot because he's certainly going to be pushed by a couple other guys. One of them being Trent Goins, who will be a senior next year. Trent had 16 tackles, 5.5 TFLs, 2.5 sacks, and 2 pass breakups. So what we're seeing from this defensive line from 2018 is they really did a good job of being disciplined and keeping their feet in the ground. But when it was a passing down and when they knew that a quarterback was going to put it up in the air, they launched... They, they got to highest point and created uh, quite a few pass breakups or knockdowns at the line of scrimmage, which certainly is going to aid in your defensive numbers. The other defensive end that may push Sandup for playing time next year is Ernest Brown. So Brown is a sophomore in 2018, had 22 tackles, 7.5 tackles for loss, 4 sacks, 3 PBUs or 3 knockdowns, and 4 quarterback hurries. So if you look at all that, his Havoc numbers were actually better than Sandup Miller's were. Miller, of course, had more than double the tackles that Ernest Brown had, but he also had more playing time. So I'm not going to sit here and politic who should be the starter next year. That needs to be earned and won in camp and then also throughout practice. But the thing that you can take to the bank with you is that we're going to have a solid depth and solid rotation, at least on the outside there. Now, on the inside... Alex Miller, from his defensive tackle spot, had 14 tackles with a tackle for loss, a sack, two pass breakups, and a quarterback hurry. The brother of Sam Duke Miller. Alex uh, has had 
more experience and playing time than his brother has in terms of years of experience, and he's really going to be looked at as somebody who can fill in in that opening that Jordan Thompson is going to leave and uh, Fred Wyatt will leave in the middle part of that tank group. Ben Oxley, uh, another senior to go with Thompson, had three tackles and a tackle for loss this year. And then Trevor Kent, I threw him in there as well. He got some playing time early in the year, and then they kind of preserved him. So I believe that he will um, be able to have more of a role next season. He accounted for half of a tackle for loss, half a sack, and then also knocked down one pass. Saw some good things at the beginning of the season. Not sure whether he suffered some injury or if there were some other things that were limiting his playing time. But again, keep in mind, from that defensive end position that he's primarily playing, um, he had quite the talent and quite the depth ahead of him. Now, we did see him slide inside at defensive tackle position on third and long or passing down situations. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Could be someone in the mold of Gaziano or Goins in their previous years where they're naturally a defensive end, but they can slide in and play that quicker defensive tackle position on passing downs. And now a quick word from our sponsor. That's all. Now let's get back to the good stuff. Next up, we've got the linebackers. So the good with the linebackers, and these are just some of the top ones. I'm sure that you can think of many more. And again, tweet me or email me if there's anything that you feel I missed. So starting with the good, they're always going to the football. Guys like Patty Fisher, Blake Gallagher, Chris Bergen, Nate Hall when he was healthy, these were guys that... You know, I called them scuds earlier, S-C-U-D, because really the definition of that is something that moves in a straight line getting to a destination, similar to a scud missile. And so what you have with these linebackers is they seek and destroy. They know where the football is at, and they get there in a hurry, which is why Patty Fisher was named All-American. It's why he was named All-Big Ten, and that's why Blake Gallagher is a guy that you're probably going to see on All-Big Ten lists in the next coming years when he's a wildcat. They're aggressive. They're athletic. So Patty Fisher certainly shows that he can cover in space. He shows that he's a good pass defender. He can move laterally very well. He can also get and fill a hole as soon as possible. Blake Gallagher, the same thing. I think he's deceptively athletic. When you look at him, he's more of that stockier type linebacker. He looks like somebody who's really just going to sit in the middle and clean up things, but he also showed that he can get to the outside and he can be a force athletically if he needs to. Um, another good thing is that they're still young. They still have time to play. Fisher will be a junior next year. Gallagher uh, will also be a junior. Chris Bergen comes back. Uh, we've, we've got a good crew of linebackers uh, who didn't really play a lot this year, but they gained some valuable practice experience. Guys like Grayson Mann, Jalen Rivers, um, uh, inside linebacker from South Carolina. I'm killing myself that I can't think of him. Number 44. Uh, I'll get it. So they're all coming back, and, and that's a good thing to see. So what happened in 2018? Patty Fisher finished eighth in the Big Ten in tackles with 116. He had five tackles for loss, a sack, an interception, which was crucial against Illinois, stopping a late drive at the end of the game. Two pass breakups, but five forced fumbles, which was tops in the Big Ten this year. So that was great to see. 
Blake Gallagher, fourth in the Big Ten in tackles, 127 of them in all, seven and a half tackles for loss, which was tops among the linebacker group, an interception, and then two quarterback hurries. So Gallagher actually had better numbers tackle-wise than Patty Fisher did, but I think part of that was because of Fisher's presence, and also Gallagher seems to be just a step quicker to the ball than Patty does, and that's no disrespect to number 42. Um, but uh, you know, it certainly shows the, the the talent that number 51 has and wearing that number well. Nate Hall, a departing senior who only played in nine games, had 51 tackles with five and a half tackles for loss, three interceptions, and two quarterback hurries. And the thing that stands out to me most about Nate Hall is all three of those interceptions were incredibly athletic. Two of them came against Minnesota. One came in the opener against Purdue, where he was almost parallel. Vert- or uh, horizontal with the ground and came up with a one-handed snag that stopped a, uh, a Purdue drive. Chris Bergen was always on the spot. He had 51 tackles, which was equal to Nate Hall, and Bergen had to fill in for Hall in a few games, but also was a, a quick guy off the bench. He had three tackles for loss, a sack, two hurries, and two, forced, or two fumble recoveries, so representing my home state of Michigan well. Uh, shout out to Country Day High School. So Bergen is somebody that uh, has a lot of interest coming into 2019 in terms of, you know, can he take that next step when he hopefully assumes the role of starter at that Sam linebacker position? Is he going to perform like his predecessors did? Early indications are that yes, he will. We also saw Eric Mueller with four tackles and Peter McIntyre with three. Now, some of those came on special teams, but nonetheless, what we have is a group of players that are hungry, they're young, and most of them are back this year. What we would like to see from the linebackers in the future, though, is maybe a few more Havoc numbers. And and part of that comes from the reserve nature of Mike Hankowitz not necessarily blitzing his linebackers unless he has to. In his 4-3 base scheme, the, the premise of linebackers is to sit there and read and react. It's not necessarily to be a blitzing force and many 4-3 coaches and even guys like Mike Hankwitz might even tell you that if you have to start blitzing with your linebackers a lot then things are probably not going right for you so sit back read and react and, and be the force on defense that is going to stop you short of the chains force a punt and get the ball back to your offense so all in all linebackers pretty good uh, grade this year and good things to come in the future And finally, we come to the defensive backs, or the Sky Team, as they're known around Evanston. So, the good from the line, or for the defensive backs this year, the guys who are supposed to be protecting the back end, who are defending against the pass, but more importantly, protecting that back goal line and making sure that the opposing colors are staying on their side of the goal line and not crossing it. So, first of all, they were good tacklers in the open field, especially Montre Hardage. Jared McGee, Travis Willock. And it's not to say that J.R. Pace wasn't. It's not to say that uh, Greg Newsom wasn't. But those previous three had some of the uh, really good open field solo tackle numbers. J.R. Pace, to give him credit, could be the best all-around safety that Northwestern has had. And that's putting him even ahead of Godwin Iguabike, who was one of my favorites. And I apologize if it sounded like I just mispronounced his name. Godwin God love you, man. Um, but Jr. not just as a very good tackler, not just uh, is smart back there, but he's also somebody who is a little bit more of a ball hawk and 
is maybe better suited against the pass. So we'll get to that in just a minute. And then another good thing from the Sky team was that their best coverage or their best pass defense came against the West opponents. So again, playing teams like Purdue, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois, even though there were hiccups and there were yards that were given up, they seemed to really clamp down and and put their best foot forward against those West teams. So let's get to the individuals. First of all, uh, Montre Hardage, who had 51 tackles, two interceptions, 13 pass breakups, which was good for third in the Big Ten. Um, he also was number one in the Big Ten in passes defended. So what that does is it takes into account interceptions and pass breakups or PBUs, balls that are knocked away and, and rendered incomplete. Uh, Montre had 15 of them, which was tops in the conference. He also accounted for one fumble recovery, which was um, helping in those havoc numbers. His partner in crime in the middle of that defense, J.R. Pace, a very versatile safety. He was the third leading tackler on the team with 82. He had four interceptions, which now puts him at six in his career. His four interceptions was number two in the Big Ten this year, by the way, and that led the team uh, in, in that category. He had seven pass breakups, a fumble recovery, but he had four and a half tackles for loss. So again, maybe I should have included him in those great open field tacklers um, because of the fact that when he was making those tackles in open space, a lot of them came from behind the line of scrimmage. He led the defensive backs in that category with four and a half stops behind said line of scrimmage. So great year from number 13 and, and great things looking forward to the final two years in Evanston. Jared McGee, a departing senior, had 51 tackles with an interception, a pass breakup, a forced fumble with a fumble recovery, and that fumble recovery went for a touchdown. That was, of course, his moment, biggest moment of glory in the Holiday Bowl, returning at 89 yards for a score that helped the Wildcats to victory. McGee also had four tackles for a loss, which was only half of one off of JR's pace, pun intended. Travis Willock was a very pleasant surprise toward the second half of the season. Now, Travis had 57 tackles, four pass breakups, two fumble recoveries, which was best among the defensive backs, three tackles for loss, and a sack. And really, if you look at it, had Willock played the entire season, had he been at the forefront in that secondary early on, those numbers probably would have rivaled right around all Big Ten types. So we saw a, an explosion from number seven in that back end. Somebody who, childhood friend of Patty Fisher, they played football together through Texas, and now they're playing in their college career. Definitely a guy who models and, and, and parallels Patty Fisher in terms of his tackling ability and his tenacity in going to the ball. Uh, and, and honestly, you could put Travis Willick at a linebacker spot, maybe even a Sam linebacker spot, and that might be something to watch as we look at maybe two years from now. Probably not coming up this year, but if the need arises and, and there's uh, a situation where Travis is put into that middle part of the defense or is put near the line. He certainly plays like a strong safety outside linebacker, a great tackler. On the outside, we had Greg Newsom, who was really the top corner opposite Montre Hardage with 23 tackles, four pass breakups. Injury plagued him throughout the season, kind of on and off. Wanted to see more of him, but in his time, he did shine with 23 tackles. Um, and what the best thing was about Greg Newsom was he did not shy away from anybody. So even though he was an early en enrollee freshman, he uh, started classes last winter, certainly showed that he was ready for Big Ten play, 
and it didn't matter who the opposing receiver was. He was right in their face and even carried a little bit of swagger, which was nice to see from number 22, um, in, or I'm sorry, number 29, in limiting the performance from those opposing receivers. Trey Williams, a junior uh, who also played at the corner spot with Newsom, had 26 tackles, a tackle for a loss, a sack, and a fumble recovery, and probably the most impactful play that Trey had this year was his forced fumble that led to a scoop and score by Ernie Brown against Nebraska that uh, kind of entrenched some more momentum for the Wildcat defense in that game. Williams came off of a corner blitz between guard and tackle and really blindsided Adrian Martinez, put the ball to the turf, and then Brown took it the rest of the way and got six for the Wildcats. Cameron Ruiz was another guy who stepped up for injury and accounted for 26 tackles, four pass breakups, a half of a tackle for loss, and one fumble recovery. Uh, most notable was the games were his games against Notre Dame, Iowa, and Illinois when he had to fill in for the what seems to be the injury-plagued cornerback position in Evanston. Did a really nice job. He blocked a punt as well against Notre Dame, which kind of turn momentum at the time and unfortunately the Wildcats couldn't capitalize completely and they lost by 10 um, but that score obviously was should have been closer than what it was. Alonzo Mayo with his fourth year in the program but still just a junior had 24 tackles three PBUs and a half a tackle for loss so if you look at Newsom and Williams and Ruiz and Mayo they all had very similar numbers kind of playing that second corner opposite Montre Hardage or filling in for Hardage when he went down with injury late in the season especially against Iowa that was a big big step up for those corners and mad props and and big love to those guys in helping secure the win in Kinnick Stadium against Iowa. There was also Bryce Jackson, who played a little bit more toward the end of the season at safety. He was number 22, had eight tackles. Alonzo Hampton, three tackles from a cornerback spot. A couple of those came on special teams. But again, another guy who enrolled early, uh, showed some glimpses of things to come, and probably expecting to see number 11 with a little bit more time on the field next year at a cornerback spot that really needs to develop even more depth, especially with the loss of Hardage uh, leaving next season. Um, that really that really does it for the position group. So giving grades, the defensive line, I think all things considered, earned a B-plus this year. Again, very, very good against the run. A big reason why we saw them as the fourth best rush defense in the Big Ten. And keep in mind, they were behind teams like Michigan, Iowa. Um, so those teams were in the top 10 in nationally in run defense. So it wasn't that being fourth was a slight. Really, you're talking about one of the 25 best run defenses in all of college football. Uh, Havoc numbers could have been a little bit more for, um, or I'm sorry, the, the sack numbers could have been a little bit more for the D-line. But nonetheless, they still disrupted things in the line of scrimmage, created some problems for opposing offensive linemen, especially some of the better ones like Wisconsin and Iowa. It was great to see that this defensive line group, these group of tanks, were giving it to two groups who are considered to be some of the best in the country. So a B-plus for the D-line. Linebackers, I'm going to give them an A because of the fact that two of the guys that were in that crew were in the top eight in Big Ten in total tackles, and really it could have been all three if Nate Hall were healthier, um, or certainly maybe three in the top 15 nonetheless. And I've talked about it before, I've always got a, uh, a big spot for Nate Hall in my heart because uh, all the things that he's done 
for the Wildcats in his four years of service, really being a four-year starter, because I'm going to include the time that he logged as a freshman, even though he wasn't officially the starter. A lot of good things were done by number 32. So an A for the linebackers. And then defensive backs, I'm going to give them a B-, and it's not all their fault. I think it was, you know, like I said, playing through injury, playing with guys who were filling in, who hadn't logged a lot of game experience, but it shows that you know this team and this program has built the culture of next man up, and there's no time for excuses. There's no time to feel sorry for yourself or for the team. You've got to come in and you've got to make plays, and they've certainly done that in the last two years. Their record in the Big Ten is impeccable. Their defensive numbers have been very impressive, and a big part of that is the play of the secondary. So while the statistics may not jump out at people, this group certainly performed well. A B minus mainly because you'd like to see their takeaway numbers increase a little bit more than just what J.R. Pace gave. You'd like to see maybe some more um, solid coverage. There were some times where, where players got beat, uh, especially in the Ohio State game. You'd like to see a secondary that can be a little bit more stout through the air, especially when it comes to the the arsenal and the weapons that some of these faster spread teams and these teams with better athletes uh, than other teams can pose at you like Ohio State and and like Michigan's going to be next year and like Nebraska's going to be next year. So good things to come hopefully for that Sky team, but a B- for this year, still very respectable. In terms of overall defense, their top games came against the West, and I highlighted that. So starting really with Iowa, or I'm sorry, with Wisconsin, they only gave up 17 points to the Badgers at a point where people were picking Wisconsin to be the runaway favorite in the West. They gave up 158 rushing yard, or passing yards, 165 on the ground, 323 total, but forced three turnovers against the Badgers and Jonathan Taylor. They held Jonathan Taylor to under 100 yards, one of the only teams to do that this season. So that's big props for the defense in that one. Um, two weeks later, on the road against Iowa, they yielded just 333 yards total offense, only 64 on the ground. Now, granted, Iowa's run game was down this year a little bit, but still against a very good offensive line that the Hawkeyes brought and against a Kirk Ferentz coach team, you're still expecting, not only as a Hawkeye fan, but as a general college football fan overall, that an Iowa team is going to rush for more than 64 yards, and they didn't against this Northwestern defense. And Northwestern forced two turnovers in that game, two big ones, which helped them seal the victory in a close one in Iowa City. So another big game for uh, for the Wildcats, that one. Minnesota, the following week, they gave up just 14 points, 306 total yards, only 109 yards on the ground, which is very impressive because the Big Ten's number two rusher, Mohamed Ibrahim from the Golden Gophers, uh, was kind of held in check in that game, and uh, they, they really clamped down on that passing game that the Gophers had. They limited Tyler Johnson to uh, limited production. Same thing with Rashad Bateman. Same thing with Chris Ottman-Bell. All those receivers who have shown a lot of talent from the Minnesota team, they were kind of held in check in that one. And again, forcing three turnovers in that game, that was big. Nate Hall had two crucial interceptions. Travis Willick also got involved. So you like to see your defense taking the ball away from opposing offenses. And then the coup de grace, the, the biggest crown goes in the second half against Utah. Listen to these numbers. Just 150 total yards in the second half, zero points, and this was coming when Northwestern went into halftime down by a a decent margin. 
they forced five turnovers in the second half, and uh, if they if the Utes weren't turning the ball over, they were either punting on many three and outs, or they were turning it over on downs when the Northwestern defense, as they have done the last two years, played really well on fourth down. The stop unit played well for the Wildcats this year. So that's going to wrap it up for today. Hopefully you had a little bit more insight. Hopefully the trip down memory lane was fun. 2018 was a very good season, but we're setting up for high expectations and to coin the song that was beloved in 1995, high hopes and you know with with great things come great expectations and that's the point we're getting to in this wildcat football program is it's no longer that seven eight wins is going to be good enough it's no longer that we're just going to compete for the big 10 or the big 10 west and we'll be happy with that pat fitzgerald has gotten this program to a point where the expectations are now we need to win the conference now we need to do all these things and I can promise you with my whole heart and bet my mortgage on it that Pat Fitzgerald is the first person who has this in his mind, and he would agree with you more than anybody else in the world. So the expectations are there. The performance is coming. Recruiting has been pretty good in the last few years. It'll be very interesting to see what happens in 2019. And that's a great segue. We're going to get into that coming up in future Wildcasts. We'll take some look back at former teams in Wildcat history, maybe some Wildcat tradition and culture, some of the things that go on around the football program that um, need to be revisited, some of the traditions, some of the things to know when you're a Wildcat football fan, or if you're just a casual observer, what makes the purple great? What makes Northwestern this outstanding institution that develops not just solid football players, but great men? And a credit to Coach Fitzgerald and Jim Phillips, the athletic director, and Morty Shapiro, the president, who hopefully will all be here for the remainder of their careers in Evanston. You do great things for the Wildcat family, so thanks to all of you. Thanks to you guys for listening. I want to encourage you to continue to listen. Listen to our national podcast called A Bowl Full of Chips, and then make sure you tune in weekly for the next and new Wildcasts, where we'll look at everything Northwestern. And if there's anything you feel that I miss or mishandled or anything you'd like to hear, shout me out at champion underscore lit on Twitter or email me at nufbhistorian at gmail.com. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in. Fight for victory. Go Cats!